Hello, my name is Maria Ramper, and welcome to this episode of Oricon's Engineering Reimagined podcast. While the past two years have been dominated by COVID-19, it has also been a period of dramatically increasing cyber attacks, as more of us are working remotely and generating, accessing and sharing more data through cloud apps, creating security blind spots. But that's not the only issue we're facing. Cyber attacks have expanded from just targeting computers and smartphones to harming entire cities, enabled through our ever-expanded connectedness. While data is an integral part of our digitized economy, the opportunities for both innovation and malice are increasing. So far in 2021, 86% of organizations say they have been compromised by at least one successful attack. And it's predicted that global cybercrime damages will cost almost $10.5 trillion annually by 2025, which is more profitable than the global trade of all major illicit drugs combined. Thankfully, there are champions taking on the good fight. When Professor Matthew Warren established the RMIT University Centre for Cybersecurity Research and Innovation in Melbourne, his goal was simple, to bring human understanding of cybersecurity in line with the modern threat. While our technological approach to cybersecurity is making inroads with the disruptors, the human aspect of protecting ourselves hasn't developed much at all since the 90s. In this episode of Engineering Reimagined, Matthew speaks with Eric Lowe, Oricon's managing principal data and analytics, about how to humanize cybersecurity and the unique challenges individuals and organizations face against increasing threats to our online information. They discuss how it's up to us, personally and professionally, to become cyber smart and create a culture of cybersecurity in our organizations and our societies in general. Welcome and thanks for making the time to have this chat about uh, all things cybersecurity. On a sort of a personal level, how did you get into the field? Uh, what, what attracted you to it? I've been in cybersecurity for a long time before it was cybersecurity when it was known as information security. So it really started in the 1990s when I finished my undergraduate degree. And I had the opportunity to undertake a PhD with the European Union, working on a project to develop security standards for healthcare. It introduced me to was the impact of information security upon individuals, organizations and society. And really that's what's driven my interest ever since. What's also driven my passion for cybersecurity is realizing from an early stage of my career that cybersecurity isn't just about the technology. It's more importantly about the human aspects of cybersecurity as well as the organizational aspects. In the 90s, when we talked about how to train people around security, how not to do the wrong things with technology, they're the same conversations we're now having today. It's a problem we've not been able to deal with, that human aspect of cybersecurity. I probably started around about the same time as you in, in 19. 19- 
1992, a co-authored co book called uh, Managing Computer Viruses, uh, which was published by Oxford University Press. And there were still some people who didn't believe viruses were real. As part of that, we actually used a biological analogy. And we realized even back then that, you know, a lot depended on human behavior and organizational issues. So, you know, congratulations on launching the RMIT University Center for Cybersecurity Research and Innovation key aspect of the center's mission is to be world-class research center in multidisciplinary cyber security research. Perhaps you could speak a little bit more about the importance of taking this multidisciplinary approach and highlight some of the key disciplines that really go into forming a complete picture of, of, of this area. Thank you. If you look at an Australian contact, the majority of the cybersecurity research centres that exist in Australia are very good, but they focus purely on that technology fuss perspective, whereas we wanted to do something different and make the driving point being this multidisciplinary aspect of cybersecurity. I started at RMIT day one of lockdown so that's uh, something I'll always remember and in that remote environment looking at what RMIT was doing in cybersecurity, they had all these pockets of excellence but there was nothing to bring them together that was another key aim was to bring together those pockets of excellence and those researchers within RMIT into the centre under that broad umbrella. So mm. it means that we've got very focused technologists of encryption, network security. We've got researchers interested in policy, small businesses, governance, in the legal aspects, the human dimensions, the ethical issues. And again, being able to bring all of that expertise together to look at a, a problem. One of the things that we've also done this year is expanded into Vietnam. And we have three campuses in Vietnam. We have researchers in Vietnam. It was an important element to start to make the centre have that international focus. That's one of the issues in terms of cybersecurity is that it is so international. It impacts every country, every government, every industry, every citizen. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It'd be interesting if, if you're able to share a, maybe one of your sort of favourite research projects that perhaps highlights how some of these things come into play. One of the projects we're working on is one that's listed in the Australian Cybersecurity Strategy 2020, and that's a government project looking at the technical aspects of cybersecurity in terms of being able to improve the capability of the university sector, as well as then the policy aspects in terms of universities dealing with security threats from a governance from a risk perspective, then the human perspective in terms of raising awareness, how to raise issues of cybersecurity, develop training materials. And the reason why I picked that example is it's about trying to uplift the security capability and posture of an entire sector and certainly something that we've seen with the new critical infrastructure bill is yeah. that universities and research establishments are now listed yes. as parts of critical infrastructure and systems of national significance. It's interesting that some of the tech giants like 
Google and Lassian have been somewhat critical of the proposed legislation. Um, do you share their concerns? It's strange because if you look at Australia and I suppose our journey with the critical infrastructure in the late 90s, the Australian government started to talk about, at that time, they called it national information infrastructure. Really, it's a conversation that's been going on for two decades. They've been trying to support industry to improve their security. The problem is it hasn't really worked. And this is why we're now going down this regulatory route where for critical systems, government will have the potential power to step in to protect what they define as critical infrastructures. The problem you have, and this is why companies like Google have highlighted concerns, is because of this broadening of what is critical infrastructure. So we now see data storage and processing, i.e. cloud services, as being critical infrastructure. I mentioned the higher education research space technology. You have a situation where non-Australian organisations control part or one part of Australia's critical infrastructure and systems of national significance. Mm. And you have a situation where the Australian Commonwealth government tells that company to take actions Mm. so it's also that tension about the internet as being global the problem is governments aren't global they're regional and the fact that you have this issue of regional jurisdiction dealing with global issues or global entities and this is where we see some of the tension historically attacks on operational technology and industrial control systems they've been less common substantially less common than attacks on what we traditionally think of as IT systems. We are beginning to see more of these attacks, like the attack on the uh, Colonial Pipeline, which is the largest fuel supply pipe in the US. And there was a compromised password and they installed uh, some ransomware and they ended up paying something like $4 million because they were worried that that entire OT setup would shut down. But more importantly, I guess, um, availability of critical infrastructure is really at the top of the pyramid there, it's less about losing data. It's more about having an electricity grid shut down or a uh, water supply stopped. So I'd be interested for you to comment on, you know, the differences in that context. It's interesting because as well as being a researcher and academic, I have also been a consultant in terms of critical infrastructure systems as well as commercial systems. A lot of the thinking was always around information security and protecting organisational assets because it was deemed the industry control systems and SCADA systems wouldn't be hacked, that they were immune because they weren't connected to the internet. But what we've seen is a trend where organisations have connected the technologies to the internet. They're now investing in IoT devices because they want to be able to control these devices and being able to control their production or facilities in a much more efficient manner. And with that, it brings a much greater range of security threats. And if those systems are compromised, it has a dramatic impact. The loss of power on society, the loss of water on populations. These industries 
they have good security because they, from an engineering company's perspective, they're very much focused on safety and a safety awareness. But that doesn't automatically translate to cyber security. And I saw many incidences of systems of critical infrastructure or systems national importance where literally you would walk in and monitors would be made colorful with post-it notes with passwords and usernames all around it or you find that the technologies that supports the SCADA system actually has no security built into it at all because the fact it's simply there to undertake an industrial function Mm. and security is never a consideration so from that sort of engineering to cyber context you have this real issue of these key technologies supporting industrial processes that actually don't have security built in for a number of reasons or you don't have that same level of awareness around security as you do around safety. The number of engineering mining sites I went on that always amazed me that they always have the safety share at the start of every meeting. Mm. And I've never seen a situation where there's been a cyber share where people openly talk about cyber security problems they've come across or they've noticed a colleague doing something that was sort of poor behavior. That cultural issue is interesting in an engineering context because it certainly is there around safety and it's how to translate that culture into a a cyber safety culture as well. Another barrier is you could be an IT cyber security expert and not really know how to tackle OT cyber issues, partly because of some of the issues that you mentioned, outdated or potentially obsolete systems or software that is so tightly integrated with the hardware, as well as the fact that a lot of them were developed and installed in a, in a pre-connected era. And so you've got now this attack surface opening up. Probably you have 20 IT cybersecurity professionals for one OT cybersecurity professional. <laughs> and what's also surprising is as we move into the Internet of the Things age, is we still face this problem where there's IoT devices that don't have security or they have poor security or default security set up. I always point my colleagues and and students to a a website showing freely available webcams around the world. And it's an example of, of simply organizations not being aware they haven't got the security features enabled on their webcams, which is just one simple sort of yeah. technology. Generally, Australia faces a cybersecurity skill shortage. And the yeah. problem is, as soon as you start to move into those niche areas, whether that's OT security or SCADA, yeah. you know, that specialization becomes less and less. In the Australian government's 2020 cybersecurity strategy, this is certainly one of the things that they've highlighted is mm. cybersecurity skills as being a yes. sovereign issue for mm. Australia. It's one of the greatest challenges Australia faces as we invest more and more and depend more and more on different securities, different technologies. Mm. Where is the skill set coming? to do that and again it's the same problem engineers face in terms of niche areas of engineering that there aren't necessarily the skills for those areas i'm sort of interested in 
your views as to whether Australia in particular, we're a country of a certain size and we have a certain critical mass of in each area, whether we face other challenges peculiar to to Australia? Australia is physically the size of Europe with about 25 million people. So it means our critical infrastructure is thinly connected across our centres of population that really does raise many potential vulnerabilities, not just from a cyber incidents, but also from a physical incidents. In Australia, when they talk about critical infrastructure, there's also a conversation occurring around disaster resilience, because there's now a connection occurring when we have had bushfire incidences even here in Victoria it came very close to taking out the uh, Melbourne water supply we came very close to losing our main power connection so uh, we're starting to see climate change having Mm. a link to increase in natural disasters and then you have that connection with the impact of those events on critical infrastructure. That's going to be an interesting discussion into the future, how to protect our critical infrastructure, not just against those cyber incidences, but also against those other physical events that come out of an increase in uh, potential disaster scenarios. One of the interesting things about critical infrastructure is you can't compare country A to B. If you look at Singapore, uh, a city-state, all of their critical infrastructure is defined within that city-state. Yes. But yet their water supplies come from Malaysia. So again, you then have an issue where another country provides the water to Singapore. I was intrigued to see the broad scope of issues that uh, your researchers are concerned with. Perhaps you could highlight some of the ethical dilemmas or the ethical issues that are prevalent in this cybersecurity. We're now seeing an increase in artificial intelligence making decisions in terms of dealing with security situations. But what you then have is an issue around bias with artificial intelligence because the rules those systems are based upon the programmers, the people who've designed them. So again, there's been proven examples of where AI systems make the wrong decision because they make decisions based upon gender or race or stereotype. So that's an example of where we become more dependent on a technology, but that technology becomes flawed because of the humans involved in the design of it. Not that they intentionally are making it flawed, but it's just because of their makeup and where they've come from in in their life in terms of their worldview. We have projects looking at ethical issues like data beyond Mm. death. What happens when someone passes away? What happens to all their data? Who actually owns their data? Is it treated as an entity that can be shared with others? As we increasingly rely on artificial intelligence to all to do all manner of things for us, including protect the systems in which they on which they dwell. I guess we've all seen the troubling trends around fake news. And it's really fascinating to see this contention around truth. And that line seems to be coming increasingly blurred, pushed in that way by certain actors for their own gain. But it does make things really difficult because 
how do you know you're dealing with factual evidence as, for example, training feedstock for an AI system? So I'd be fascinated in your, your thinking on where you, how you think this might play out because it, it feels a little out, out of control at times. The issue uh, around fake news is mm. fascinating because a, a lot of it comes through the social media sites. And the problem is because they're global, Facebook has one point you six billion users monthly that that large they, they're not able to manage themselves in, in real time at least with platforms like facebook and and youtube they do have a governance process in place where eventually that content can be removed that the problem you've got is where you have the point-to-point messaging apps mm. like the whatsapp the more privacy enabled systems like telegram where Mm. there is no central point of control that users who belong to a certain group can share information if that Mm. group is about the topic where disinformation can be shared there's Mm. no way of countering that if you view some of what is happening as a bit of an arms race where you use every tool at your disposal, whether you're a criminal or a competitor or a foreign actor, potentially all of these things could be proved to be formidable weapons. Yeah. I'm interested in your views on that. One of the key challenges when you talk about threat actors, mm. there are so many threat actors mm. and each of those threat actors have different motivations different capabilities. This is one of the reasons why cybersecurity is becoming so difficult and complex for organizations, let alone governments, to manage because of the sheer number of threats and risks. And they're not always technology-based problem is is that many organizations invest a large amount of money in their cybersecurity. They have a very mature approach to cybersecurity, but then they become victim to a phishing attack because emails have been sent and someone's made a mistake and clicked on a link and ac- accidentally download malware or ransomware into the organization. And then it comes back to how did the organization set up their systems? Did they put network segmentation in place? If they didn't, then the whole organization is at risk. So again, it starts to come back to those other decisions that aren't necessarily cyber related. They're more infrastructure related. And it's only when you see an incident like ransomware, then you see that relationship between one decision around infrastructure and how that's set up with the security impact. But the problem you then have in regards to the the fake news is that that's an information attack and there's no technology that can protect against that. Now we're going to see the issue of deep fakes where you actually see speeches from like former President Barack Obama who gives a presentation which he never gave in reality. It was very convincing to the, you know, to, and to even view it, yeah, that's news. <laughs> it's, this is then going to be the problem that we face mm-hmm. is being able to understand the difference between reality and fiction for citizens who are using systems or 
are being exposed to information like this on a daily basis for them to be able to make those value judgments. I see a major issue and I see that fake news and deep fake can start to impact the democracy of countries, start to disengage citizens from that democratic processes that have actually helped us grow and expand for so many generations. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of work with the Baltic states around fake news and the impact of a large neighbour being able to influence their election and domestic political dialogue. And uh, what you have in those countries is the number of people who take part in voting's decreased. And it actually shows that political disengagement is occurring because people aren't being part of that democratic process. The other parallel, I guess, more technological aspect that we see is that is increasing automation. So more processes and more systems being controlled by information systems. And as AI becomes increasingly capable, that trend will only continue. I'm wondering whether you can shed any light on whether organizations that embrace AI and automation have special considerations in setting up these kind of highly um, autonomous systems run their business yeah. one of the areas i'm working on with the school of engineering is actually around this impact of autonomous vehicles mm. and the impact of cybersecurity. many of the autonomous systems are going to be run by ai systems that control the actions of those autonomous vehicles and movements of vehicles so if that's able to be manipulated you can have major consequences. Rolls-Royce has launched their first autonomous ship. If that was able to be controlled or manipulated, that could have a major impact. We saw the situation in the Suez Canal where one captain makes a mistake and blocks the Suez Canal and has a global impact on trade. Imagine a situation when you move towards automated systems that you could have a coordinated uh, attack upon something like the Suez Canal. Just with being able to get ships to block it, that would have a tremendous impact on supply chains. That's one of the things that we're now seeing in the COVID recovery. There's concerns about how fragile our supply chains are now becoming. So if cyber could be used as a potential way to disrupt those fragile supply chains even further. Well, I feel like we could speak for another two or three hours on this. And uh, this is sort of really an incredibly important area for the world in generally to bring this kind of multidisciplinary approach and not uh, have that incredibly narrow conception of what's cybersecurity entails. You've tackled it in this broad and holistic way. It's the only way that we're going to stay abreast of what is an incredibly rapidly evolving field. Thanks so much for your time. And thank you. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure to speak uh, with you, Eric, and to sort of share my thoughts about cyber from, I suppose, from a historical context, but also from a future context. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Engineering Reimagined an extraordinary journey into the densely layered world of cybersecurity. We'd love to hear your feedback about this episode and our podcast series as a whole. So why not write us a review and tell us about topics you'd like to hear about in the future. You can subscribe to Engineering Reimagined on Spotify or Apple and follow Oricon on social for updates. Until next time, thanks for listening.